promise to and for us. And God, we celebrate you for being that this day. Now, God, thank you for our time together. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to bless us, uh, even during this hour or this time and moment of preaching. And God, we pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Lord, that it will be acceptable in our sight. For, Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Now, listen, one quick caveat. I promise you there was not a Freudian slip there. Uh, there will be no hour of preaching. Um, so some of y'all got nervous uh, when y'all heard that. That's not the case. Uh, we're not going to hold you extremely long today. So last week, uh, Pastor Matt opened us up as he started us off in this series that we are in on Emmanuel. And last week, we just talked about the reality of what that means, that Emmanuel is God with us. But there is a word that speaks to that. This word is called imminent. And imminent, real simple definition, basically means God's presence in creation which that's what the entire Christmas season about. It is about the fact that God's presence is with us in creation. In fact, that's what we just got through singing about, uh, was the imminence of God, his presence in creation. That song on the early worship set is one that we sing and celebrate uh, each and every Christmas season, speaks to that. We talked about it. They sang it. They didn't sing the verses. Let's see if you can catch on again. It starts off, Oh, come all ye. A couple of y'all like Christmas songs. Let me hear you. I'm getting you ready for the 19th. To Bethlehem. Yeah, so that right there is speaking to the eminence. God's presence in creation. We're calling for the people to come to Bethlehem and behold the coming of our King, Jesus Christ. Or, or there's another song that we sing uh, so often every year, one of the more popular songs uh, that we sing each and every Christmas season, uh, Silent Night, right? I'm not going to sing it. Uh, we're not going to sing it. It's kind of hard to sing. And uh, we're saving that one for the 19th. But Silent Night, Holy Night, that is all about the coming of Christ, celebrating his eminence, his presence in creation. Now, when you get a little older, there are some things that you, you find holes and stuff. And so as I was thinking about the eminence of God and I was thinking about the song Silent Night, I recognize one truth that's not told within that. And that is, it may have been a holy night. I doubt very seriously it was a silent night because if we're talking about Jesus as a baby, we know that babies are not silent at night. All the new parents said amen. Yeah, so Jesus may have been holy, but he surely wasn't quiet because babies don't sleep at nighttime. But this is what we talk about and what we experience during Christmas season. It's about his eminence, filling his presence in creation. And that's what we hope to do and accomplish during this series is for you to experience the presence of God. And if you were here last week, certainly we got a glimpse into that. Amen? But it's also our hope not only to recognize and experience God's presence in creation, but this week it is also important for us to understand that Emmanuel is God with us. He is eminent, but he is also in power. 
And that's today. That's my task for today that we talk about God imminent in power. And uh, as I was thinking about this, I'd like to kind of add maybe like a little bit of a subtitle uh, to this. It's not only that it is about him being imminent in power, but I'd like to talk about the paradox of the power of Jesus Christ. Because when you think about Jesus Christ and his power, it doesn't look like the way that we are accustomed to power looking. When you consider the Christmas story, and aside from the virgin birth, and aside from the angels appearing out in the open, revealing themselves to the shepherds, to be honest, the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, is a little bit underwhelming. It's not all that fantastic. I love the story, but when you really think about the story of Jesus Christ and his birth, it's not as amazing when you take out the virgin birth and you take out the showing of the angels to the shepherds. Here's, here's what you notice about the story. You'll find that Jesus was born. Now, we recognize him as the king of kings. But when this royal birth happened, unlike royal births of that day, usually when a king or a queen was born, the entire kingdom wakes up and celebrates and they wait in anticipation for the king or the queen to be born. But when Jesus was born, he was born uh, on the side of an inn in a stable or a manger, as we call it. And there were no kingdom that was awaiting for his birth. It was, it was in the song. It was a silent night from that standpoint. And it wasn't what we thought that it was going to be. But not only that, not only was he born in a humble way, he was also raised in a humble way. We find out that a little bit later, King Herod hears about this king of the Jews who was going to be born unto the people. And when he heard, fearful of his reign ending, he sent for all the boys three years and under to be murdered in the land. And so Joseph and Mary become refugees, and they escape to Egypt. And while they're there in Egypt, they stay and raise Jesus for a portion of his life there. That, that doesn't seem like an amazing story. That's, that's not royalty that we're accustomed to. But even when you come back, and they come back, and they return from Egypt, they're raised in Nazareth. And the Bible tells us, in fact, that when it was spoken of that Jesus was coming from Nazareth, uh, one of the disciples said to themselves, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And so Jesus was raised and born in obscurity. Nothing about him seemed amazing. When you take out the miraculous factors of his birth, he was, it was an underwhelming, a humble existence for him. And that paradox alone is what makes this story amazing. The fact that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, came in a humble way, and in the way that he came, it did not dismiss or take his power away from him. He is still Jesus. He is still the Lord of all lords. He is still royalty, and he is still great and greatly to be praised. And so what we need to do in this season is recognize that as we're talking about Emmanuel, that he's God with us. But we need to know that no matter how it looks, according to Jesus' story, no matter how it looks to us, that he is still in power. And uh, in order to illustrate that, I'd like to use a passage of Scripture that we usually reserve for the Easter season to demonstrate what it looks like about Jesus being in power. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up to the gospel according to Luke chapter 19. And we're going to read verses 29 uh, through 38. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 29. 
And this is what you'll find. As he approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a coat tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he told them. As they were untying the coat, his owners asked them, why are you untying the coat? They replied, the Lord needs it. Verse 35, they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the coat, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came to the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Amen. You may be familiar with this moment during Easter season, oftentimes we refer to it as the triumphal entry. And in Luke's gospel, this is the culminating event. This is what he's working towards. He's working towards bringing Jesus to the place of Jerusalem, the place where he would eventually be um, um, crucified and beaten so that he could resurrect for us in this life. And so at this moment that we're reading here, Jesus is exactly seven days uh, before he will go to trial and be resurrected from the dead. But I love this story, and if you pick it apart, man, you'll see how prevalent the power of Jesus and why he's come is in here. At the opening of our passage, you'll see Jesus seated at the Mount of Olives, and there are some really particular details that you'll notice. You'll notice that as he's there, he says to his disciples, he says, go to this town, and when you go there, you're going to find a coat. I want you to untie that coat and bring it to me. But by the way, if anybody asks you, why are you untying it, say the Lord needs it. Now, when you read that, oftentimes people dismiss that as an insignificant factor. We know that Zechariah prophesied about Jesus uh, and that he will be coming riding on a donkey's coat. We understand that scripture, but I believe that as you read the passage here, there's a little bit more detail that you must be attuned to. Some will say it's insignificant. It really doesn't matter that Jesus just got a donkey. There are some who say, well, Jesus ahead of time made preparations. He sent somebody ahead of time. He met the owners, and he said, hey, I'm I'm going to need a donkey. At some point in time, I'm going to send my people. Let them know uh, that it's okay for them to take it if you see them coming. Some will say, that's the case. I, I dismiss all of that because nothing in the Bible says that Jesus made those type of preparations. What I believe is taking place is that Jesus, in his providence, knew what was going to happen. And in his providence, he sent the disciples in the town. And when the people heard the Lord, the spirit of the Lord moved through them, understanding the moment that was taking place. For you and I, what I think it does is it points out a very significant truth. It may seem insignificant that Jesus sent his disciples into that town to grab a coat so that he could ride on a donkey into Jerusalem. But I believe that it proves that no matter how minor or how small the details, Jesus is always in the midst of things. 
that there's never anything so insignificant in your lives that Jesus does not care about the details of our experience. And I believe that as he's speaking to the disciples, one of the key things that they do is a lesson that you and I need to learn. In fact, Mary says it to them in the opening of John before Jesus starts his miracle. Real simple. When the Lord tells you to do something, do what the Lord tells you to do. No matter how small the details, no matter how insignificant you think that it may be, when the Lord speaks to you, the most important process or procedure for us is to do exactly what the Lord tells us or tells you to do. Somebody in here, the Lord has been speaking something to you. He's been telling you, you need to take this step. You need to make this trial. You need to put this in advance. You need to move in that direction. And you're so caught up in the details and wondering if the Lord is actually speaking and if things are going to work out. And you're trying to figure out that if I make this step, will things work out in the ending? That part is not for you to worry about. If the Lord spoke to you just as he spoke to the disciples, your responsibility is very simple. Do what the Lord told you to do. But I also understand this because I understand the nerves and the workings of humanity. For many of us, it's not the end point that we fear. We recognize that God calls and that God prepares and God provides. And so we believe that in the long run, because I'll talk to you, say, in the long run, I believe that the Lord is going to work everything out. So the problem isn't believing if it's going to work out in the ending. The problem is, is that you can't see if things and how things are going to work out between where you are right now and not step number 10. You're trying to figure out if the Lord is going to be with you in step number two and three. You believe that the Lord is going to be there in the, in the great thereafter. You believe that when it's all said and done, that God is going to make sure that all things work together for your good. But you're wondering and you're, you're concerned that, Lord, if I step out on faith, not next year, Lord, how about tomorrow? Tomorrow, are you going to show up? Tomorrow, are you going to make sure my bills are paid? Tomorrow, are you going to ensure that things work out? You're worried about step number 10. Don't worry about step number 10. Trust the Lord for tomorrow. And each and every day that we wake up, what we ought to do is pray for the Lord. Lord, I don't know how today's going to work out. I don't understand all the details. I don't understand how significant or insignificant this moment is. Lord, I just need you to make sure that you keep me wherever you find me. And whenever I find myself, brothers and sisters, don't be deterred about not being able to see the next moment, the next year. Just wake up and trust God for today. Amen? They're making preparations, and our responsibility is real simple. Just do what the Lord tells you to do. So after they retrieve the colt, they bring it to Jesus. And I like this scene. It's pretty dope. They, 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 they place their cloaks over top of the colt. And then when they do, the Bible says that they place Jesus on top of the colt. They made a saddle out of their jackets for Jesus. And then the scene happens that Jesus begins to move, and you're used to this in the triumphal entry. We acted out almost every year that as they're doing, they're throwing their cloaks, their jackets on the ground so that the donkey can ride across the clothing. But th there's an interesting detail that I read that I, I, I like to think about, I've been thinking about all week, is that not only were they taking off their cloaks as he was walking, once Jesus crossed over their jackets, they'd run and pick up their jacket and run back to the front of the coat and lay their jackets down again. So what they were doing, they were constantly 
working to ensure that Jesus was recognized no matter where. It wasn't about the convenience. They wanted to make sure that they were elevating him as king. And it wasn't about the time. It wasn't about the energy. They were willing to sacrifice themselves so that they could honor their king. I, I, I like that. But I started thinking, too, about him sitting on the Mount of Olives. And he's sitting there in the posture of a king. But here's where the paradox is. In historical times, normally a king would sit upon not a donkey, but a war horse. And if it wasn't a war horse, it was a horse and chariot. So here's Jesus, the king of kings, the lord of lords, not seated upon a war horse and not seated on a horse and chariot. He's seated upon a donkey. He, he's not elevating himself. He's seated upon a donkey in the most humble fashion before he marches in the town. If, you, if you've ever seen my favorite movie, Gladiator, with Russell Crowe, you'll see at the beginning of the movie as they're preparing to go and to fight battle in the land, and you'll see that, that, the, uh, that the emperor is there, and Russell Crowe or Maximus comes, and they're speaking to the king. That's this situation that we're witnessing here in Scripture. That the king is sitting there, his subjects are gathered around here, he's mounted letting the enemy know that battle is about to happen, and the king is seated high and mighty above the people. But our king of kings, for some reason, doesn't take his cues from history. He doesn't take his cues from how the rest of the kings of the world do. Rather than having to have a war horse or a horse and chariot, the Lord of Lords, the great king, the great I am, seats upon the donkey in all power. What I love about Jesus is this and what it says about the, the optics don't matter to Jesus. Jesus doesn't care what things look like and how different he is. Him being the king of kings and the Lord of Lords, he is no less that because he doesn't look like it according to the world standards. Here's a quick note. Third note, real quick, let me drop this in parenthetically. I love this. Uh, 300 years before this moment, in this very same place, the great man known as Alexander the Great, the great conqueror, sat on this same hill performing this same thing, going to the same temple that Jesus went to, and he tainted the temple. Jesus is sitting here as the high priest going to restore what humanity thwarted or what they tainted 300 years prior. He's seated there on top of a donkey, not looking kingly, not looking like royalty, but he's still the king of kings. And the optics don't make sense. I, I, I wanted to pull up a picture. I, I forgot to put it up. Um, but I, I was thinking about people when they know exactly who they are because Jesus knew exactly who he was. So I started thinking about someone in our times who the optics don't matter to them because they know who they are. And so I started thinking about the, the multi-billionaire Warren Buffett. So I'm thinking about Warren Buffett. If you've ever seen Warren Buffett, he, he, he's, he doesn't look like he's worth $80 billion. He, he doesn't look like it. He, we dress nicer than him on any given day. He's been dressing the same since he was just as poor as he was. He's never changed. He only wears a suit when he's got business meetings. Like, he, he dresses and looks in humility. Warren Buffett, worth almost $80 billion, lives in the same home that he lived in that he bought for $30,000 in 1958. 
Just because he's a multi-billionaire, Warren didn't upgrade himself. He simply looks the same. Warren Buffett, who's worth $80 billion, wakes up every day, and the maximum amount of money that he spends on breakfast, by the way, he eats McDonald's every morning. And the maximum amount of money that he'll spend on McDonald's is $3.19. He'll spend no more than $3.19, not because he's forced to, but because he chooses to. Because Warren recognizes that it doesn't matter how much money he spends. It doesn't matter how big his house. It doesn't matter what type of car he drives. He's still a multi-billionaire no matter how he looks. Because when you know who you are, you're not concerned about the optics and whether or not how you look appeases the sensibilities of people. When Jesus is sitting here riding on a donkey, it did not matter to him if humanity recognized him as king. He was king because he was created and born that way. It didn't matter if humanity crowned him as king of kings. Keep in mind that up until this point, each and every time that humanity tried to crown him as king, Jesus dismissed the notion because Jesus did not need them to call him king. He did not need them to recognize him as king. He was king because he was created that way. Because he was created in the image of God. Because he is God in the flesh. And for the first time in his 33 years of existence, the king lets it be known that I am exactly who you say that I am but I'm not that because you make me that I am that because God created me that way somebody in here needs to know that today that how you look how you speak where you from what you got does not determine who you are it does not determine your identity it does not determine what God is doing inside of your life you don't have to look a certain way to appease the sensibilities of people Jesus came in a paradox of power and in that paradox what he told and shared to you and I is you are not defined by how you look, where you go, where you live. You are defined because you were created in the image of God. He's sitting there, this king of kings, and he rejects everything that the world establishes about him. He was still king regardless. As a matter of fact, man, Paul talked about this and how great his power was in Colossians 1. Read this for me real quickly. In Colossians 1, verses 15 through 19, he says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And listen to this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. What Paul shares lets us know that the man seated on a donkey on this hill is the full embodiment of God. That the entirety of God exists in him. Which means this. Jesus isn't seated on a hill in power. Jesus is seated on a hill as power. That everything that is needed for the world exists and is seated on the man who is seated humbly on a donkey on a mount called Olives. He is power to everything and whoever needs him. And in that power, in his character, he doesn't have to prove himself to nobody. 
And our culture could take a lesson from that today. That we can take a lesson that we don't have to prove who we are. You, you, you know those people who, who they always make it an effort to try to let you know how great or good they are at something? You know, those people who, you, you know, they, they're, they're smart, but they always have to remind you that they're smart. They're gifted, but they always have to remind you that they're gifted. And at some point in time, if you're like me, I'm like, well, baby, I don't know if you're trying to prove that to yourself or to me. Like, you know, because if you are everything that you say that you are, you don't have to self-promote. Who you are will come before you. And we need to know that, that who you are, if you truly are who you say that you are, you don't have to promote that. The Bible lets us know your gifts will make room for you. And you don't have to create it. You don't have to prop yourself up. If you are everything that you believe that God says that you are, it doesn't matter. Hashtag living my best life. None of that matters. If you are who you are, God will make sure that the people who need to see you as you are will see you exactly as you are. And you don't have to post it. You don't have to retweet it. You don't have to pose for it. You just got to walk in whatever it is that God created you to be. And whatever the Lord needs to happen for you can happen for you regardless of your behavior. But these people, man, we're reading about Jesus. This Jesus that we're reading about, he says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You mean to tell me that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, he didn't come and establish himself as royalty on the planet. He didn't assimilate himself into religious culture, but he came humbly and homeless. And in his humble beginning and in his homeless state, he still reigned as king. As he's seated on a donkey, he still is exactly who he is. And even though he was poor and looked more like a peasant, the fullness of God ran through him. Come here, somebody living in 2018, I need to let you know that no matter how discouraging the world seems today, no matter how powerless it appears to be, no matter how hopeless it gets at times, no matter what you see in the media and read in the news, you need to know that the God that you serve, that, yo, he was homeless, and yes, he may have had humble beginnings, he may have died a violent death, but that homeless Palestinian Jew without the fame and acclaim of the world, although he didn't look like what the world said he should look like, and many people rejected him because he didn't look like that, the reality is no matter how it appears, he was still Jesus in power. He was still Emmanuel in power. And that same Jesus that we're reading about in the scripture is still alive and breathing today. And he is still in power. And I know the optics may not look like it. I know the Bible tells us that the enemy is the prince of the power of the air. And sometimes it appears as though things are getting and spinning and spiraling out of control. But no matter how it may appear to our eyes and our sensibilities, Jesus still is exactly who we believe. Even to be, he still has power. He's still in control. He still got the world in the palm of his hands. He's still moving. He's still healing. He's still changing things. And he's still everything that we need him to be is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. And you don't have to be fearful. You don't have to be worrisome about how things are going to work out. Because if God is still moving, if this Jew is still breathing, then everything that he was then, it didn't appear like he was then. He's still that today, and he's that for you. And I and he will continue to be everything that we need him to be. 
So let's move on so we can get out of here. Verse 35 tells us that, that they brought it, it being the coat to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the coat and put Jesus on it. And as they went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. And when they came near to the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in their loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. There, there are the image again, man. They're laying down their cloaks. They're picking them up and they're putting them back in front of him. He's this time, he's descending into Jerusalem. But Luke says that they were praising him for all the miracles that they had seen. Well, if you read this, in the Gospel of John, John records that the miracle that they had just recently witnessed was Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So they've just witnessed Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and it's fresh upon their minds of how powerful our Jesus is. But I love that story about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead because it's something else that illuminates his power. Here's what I love about it is the fact that not the reality of the fact alone that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the fact that it took Jesus four days to get to Lazarus when it all seemed hopeless. Do you remember the story? They, they came to, to call Jesus to go and to, to help Lazarus because he was still alive and sick. And rather than Jesus rushing to his aid, Jesus took his time and it took him four days, not because it took four days to travel, but because Jesus just took four days to get there. And when he gets there, if you remember, Martha comes to Jesus and she says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have, would have died. He, would have, he wouldn't have died. He would have lived. And, and Jesus said, listen, man, this was done so that the glory of God might be revealed in your sight. She says, well, I know that I'll see my brother on another day. She says, no, uh, you're going to see your brother today. And Jesus spoke the words. You remember the words? He just simply uttered, Lazarus, get up. And when it all seemed hopeless, after four days when his body should have been decomposing, Jesus simply said three words. And in those three words, in all of his power, this man who had been buried in a tomb rose up. But it took Jesus four days. It took Jesus four days. Man, listen, I know you. you, you you've been waiting for things to work out. You've been hoping that in a time that you, you've been praying for, and for some of us it ain't been four days, it's been four years. It's been four weeks, four months, however long it's been. And you're wondering if the Lord can still fix it, if he can still work it out. Well, it may not have been four days, and for you it may be four years, but the story is there to highlight that Lazarus was dead and Jesus brought it to life. And I know that you think that your situation may be nearing death and that it may be nearing hopelessness. But the same Jesus who uttered three words, Lazarus, get up, can say to you if you lack employment, if you're struggling with your finances, if you're struggling with your own hope, the same Jesus that said to Lazarus, get up, and that dead body raised can speak into your situation and life can come to it. And this story highlights the paradox of Jesus' power. He don't look like he got the whole world in his hands. He doesn't look like he's all-powerful. But Jesus simply says a word and things happen. So he's there. He speaks it. And Lazarus gets up. And so they're there worshiping Jesus because they just saw how powerful this homeless 
humble man was and how he changed things. Well, they're there worshiping him. And there's a couple of quick things I want to share with you, and we'll get out of here, that I think the paradox of Jesus' power teaches us. As we think about his story, one of the things that I think is important to us that we need to apply to our own lives is Jesus teaches us sometimes in order to win, you got to be okay losing. Yeah, sometimes you've got to lose to win. Or, or maybe a better word, a more appropriate term could be sometimes you've got to yield in order for things to work out for your behalf. You know, every battle isn't for you to win. Sometimes you just got to be quiet and let the Lord fight your battles for you. Sometimes you just got to sit still and lay away because the Lord is working. And I know that sometimes it may not even look to us. It definitely doesn't look like to the people who are close to us or near us. They don't always understand. But sometimes in order for the Lord to work things out, you just got to let things take place. You got to let things happen. And people think that you're losing and they're thinking that you're not doing anything. Sometimes you just got to let them know, I'm just letting God be God. I'm just letting the Lord work it out. I'm going to take this L. I'm going to lose this battle, but I'm going to win the war. And in order to win the war, I've got to let some things transpire so that the Lord can work it out on my behalf. Sometimes take the loss. Sometimes keep your mouth shut. I'm going to say that one more time. We need to get that. Sometimes you need to keep your mouth shut. It ain't always for you to say. Sometimes you just got to be quiet and let the Lord work it out. I, I've, gotten, I've gotten to this point, I, you know, I like to talk a lot, and I like to talk crazy to people. But sometimes I, I, I don't always keep quiet, but sometimes I just laugh. Because... <laughs> Because I know that the Lord is going to show up and he's going to show out. And sometimes I just go ahead and let people think when they think they're getting over. You know, that, that's the whole thing, man. We don't want, we don't want people to take advantage of us. And, and we don't want to look stupid, right? But if you take into consideration that the Jesus that we're celebrating, the paradox of his power, in order to save the world, he allowed himself to be defeated. You didn't know that, right? In order to save the world, he allowed himself to be defeated. The enemy thought that he had him down. Jesus allowed himself to be beaten, bruised, bled and died, hung upon a cross, buried in a grave, just to demonstrate that I've got all power in my hands, defeated death and rose up with all power. Sometimes you've got to lose to win. The other thing that Jesus teaches us this, sometimes in order to reign, you've got to serve. You've got to serve to reign. Jesus teaches about those of us in leadership, and he says this. He says, don't be like those other people who feel like they need to lord over those people who are above them or beneath them. Yeah, whoever wants to be first among you must learn to be last. And in order to truly reign, what Jesus did is rather than coming in full royalty and acclaim, he humbled himself as a man, as a peasant among the culture, so that he could reign the way that God intended for him. Sometimes in order for you to get to the place where God is elevating you to, rather than promoting yourself or pushing yourself up there, sometimes you got to humble yourself and just serve people. And just nod and smile and greet people and love people. And when it's God's time, God will elevate you in his season. Because there's power in humility. And then lastly, I know this is the season in which we celebrate him coming to us in his life. But even in this moment right here, what he teaches us is that there's a time when you've got to die in order to live. That's, that's a wonderful wonderful power there. You've got to die to live. 
For Jesus, he did it physically. He allowed his body to die so that he could raise up for eternal life and for you and I. It's about dying daily. Daily dying so that the will of God can be lived out in each and every one of our lives. That's the paradox of Jesus' power. What he demonstrates for us, how he lived for us, not so that we might get it and elevate ourselves, but so that he can show us how the things in which we hoped for are not gained and uh, they're not acquired through the world's standards. But in Jesus' power, he showed us when it looks like the world is winning, you're not losing. But sometimes in order to win, you've got to take a L. And even though you want the Lord to elevate you, you don't have to self-promote. You don't have to play the game. You don't have to throw anybody under the bus. Simply serve. And God will elevate you in due time. And then lastly, a disciple's life is about dying to live. Whoever will bear their own cross, die to live so that the Lord can give you the life that you seek to have. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's stand all over this building. If I could have um, a couple of counselors up front, Matt and Kat, if y'all could come on up. An angel. This season we celebrate how God came near. But for those of you who are here today, you need to know that he came near for you. And so these counselors are here um, so that they can talk with you, pray with you, whatever it is that you're in need of, they're here to receive you. So worship team is going to lead us. I'm going to pray, and when they do, whatever it is that you need, if you don't even have the words for it, if you've yet to see Jesus as your Lord and Savior, they can't save you. They just want to pray with you as you make your open profession of Christ. Or if you just need prayer, if you're looking for a church family, they can help you with that as well. So pray with me. And then when you hear the word, amen, it's when it's time for you to come forward. Let us pray. Eternal God, we cannot without you. And so thank you, Lord, for coming for us, for not leaving us alone. But, Lord, that you saw our faults, saw our needs and you came to us in everything that we needed you to be. We got somebody here today needs to know that for themselves and so I pray that you give them the confidence and the strength to come near you so they can experience the fullness of who you are. Let them not leave this place Lord without saying yes. Holy Spirit, move. This in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. As the worship team leads us, will you come?